I wonder how you cope with travelling on a boat. I have a really bad seasickness problem. It's at the level where I had to get out of a rowing boat that Emily and James were rowing on a canal a couple of summers ago as I felt too sick. Probably wasn't helped by the fact that my ridiculously big dog, Obi, was on board too and that he made the boat rock. But also watch this. It's them rowing after I got out and in some ways you can see why I felt sick. Now you might be wondering why I've mentioned this. Well, we're looking at the story of Moses today in our continuation of looking at God's big story. And I don't know about you, but I've always wondered about Moses as a little baby in that reed basket on the Nile. Um, he must have felt a bit seasick floating about because uh, the Nile is quite a big and wide river with many currents and in places fast flowing. And he must have been quite buffeted about in that basket. So I wonder, perhaps when he got to the Red Sea, that was why he wasn't keen to try and cross it. He must have been so glad when God parted the waters. But actually, more, more seriously, we need to tread carefully as Moses' story is enormously important in understanding Israel's faith and identity. So we do start today with Moses in the basket in the reeds placed there by his mother. And at the time, many other Hebrew boys were being drowned in the Nile by Pharaoh's decree. But why was that happening? Well, we've skipped quite a bit since last week in our journey through God's big story. Remember that we are in the recreation phase now. The whole of the biblical narrative from last week onwards is about God's restoration and rescue plan. Last time we were in Genesis and by the end of the Genesis narrative, the Israelites, the nation that were descended from Abraham, had achieved the most favoured immigrant status in the land of Egypt. The Egyptians had welcomed the Hebrew foreigners from Canaan because they were family to Joseph, who, even as a non-Egyptian, had risen to second in command next to Pharaoh. But then came a great time of disruption. Now a new king arose over Egypt, a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And Israel's status quickly deteriorated from welcomed guests to feared aliens and oppressed slaves. This pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites because there were so many of them and they, he was afraid that they would side with his enemies. So first pharaoh enslaves the Israelites. Then he commands midwives to kill the Hebrew boys that are born. And then finally... He commands all Egyptians to throw Hebrew boys into the River Nile. This is why Moses' mother placed her baby boy in that basket in the reeds on the river. But God had a plan. Moses was drawn out of the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter. Moses experienced God's rescue very early in his life. And Moses was then adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. 
So he grew up in the royal household. But one day he killed an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite slave, one of his own people. And Moses had to flee for his life as Pharaoh was seeking to kill him. So Moses settled in Midian, worked as a shepherd and married the local priest's daughter, Zipporah. So life was ticking along quite nicely for Moses and his family. And then this happened. The reading is taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jezebites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship with God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jesubites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. God really grabbed Moses' attention. A burning bush, and yet it was not being consumed by the fire. Moses had to go and have a look. Now, I wonder whether this is a peculiarly male trait, because James, my son, loves making a fire in the fire pit and will spend hours playing with the logs and watching the sparks and flames. So maybe Moses had that same urge, and that's why he went to explore the fire. But as he walked towards the fire, even before God called his name, Moses was confronted with the first of three questions. Where do you stand? Moses is commanded by God to take off his shoes as he's standing on holy ground. God was talking to Moses in the desert, the same God that had talked to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Here was the God of his ancestors talking to him. And yet he grew up not really knowing this God as he was brought up in Pharaoh's household. So I wonder whether some of his fear was because he had seen the oppression of God's people, the Israelites, from that position of authority in the palace in Egypt. And he'd done nothing about it until the day when he had killed the Egyptian slave master. But then God declares that he, God, has seen the misery of his people and has come down to rescue them, to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God says he will come down to bring them up. I wonder, does that sound familiar to us? God coming down to raise others up. Well, it does because it's a foretaste of God's ultimate rescue plan in Christ, who came down to earth taking on human flesh, dying for the sins that have led to the unravelling of the created order and rising again to establish God's new creation and to bring resurrection life to God's redeemed people, God always comes down to lead us up. So what about God's promise of the land? Does that remind you of anything from last week? The covenant promise made to Abraham that God had set aside land for Israel the very best land, flowing with milk and honey. This promise of the land to Moses by God, here is the answer to the second question that Moses faced. Where is your land? 
But then Moses responds to God's promise about the land with, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses feels totally out of his depth. God responds, but it's interesting because he doesn't directly answer him. He just says, I will be with you. Moses' ability is not important here. It is God's ability that's important. Who he is and his ability is all that is needed for the task ahead. That's why God reveals his name. I am who I am. And a revelation of name is an invitation into relationship. God is drawing Moses deeper into relationship with him. And we hear later in Exodus that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. God is not distant. He hears, he speaks, he draws close and he reveals himself. Moses can lead the Israelites because God will enable him. It is dependent only on God's ability and power. And that is released through Moses staying close to God. So then we come to the third question before Moses. What is in your hand? We probably know that it is a staff used for moving sheep around. But it wasn't going to be much use for moving the Israelites out of captivity. Or was it? Moses, at this point, certainly didn't think so. So God had to show him. He told Moses to throw it on the floor and it became a snake. When he picked up the snake, it turned back into the staff. God showed Moses another sign, causing his hand to become leprous, and then he instantly healed it. And he told him another sign that he could perform if needed. All of these signs were dependent on God's power and not on Moses' ability, just his obedience. God is reminding Moses yet again, it is not his ability or suitability for the task ahead that is needed. It is God's ability, it's God's mission, his power being made perfect in Moses' weakness. But even then, having seen God's power at work, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But then Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so you can perform the signs with it. So God provides Aaron to speak for him. God knew that Moses was capable of doing what he was asking of him. 
but it only required Moses' obedience, not his ability. But Moses, in his weakness, questioned God's ability to act. And even though God became angry, he still provided the support Moses felt he needed. All Moses, Moses could see was impossibility ahead. He did not trust that anything was possible with God. But that was about to change. God then repeatedly demonstrates his power by releasing a series of plagues that affect only the Egyptians and not the Israelites. And finally, the Israelites are let go by Pharaoh. The climax of the story is the parting of the Red Sea. God rescues Israel from 400 years of slavery. Moses' rescue from the Nile was a foretaste of that rescue of Israel. Moses was the one drawn from the water, adopted into a new family, and then he led Israel to be drawn from the waters of the Red Sea into a covenant relationship with God, who then adopted Israel as his own. In his interaction with Moses, God was binding himself to the nation of Israel yet again in his mission of restoration. They are liberated from certain death as they walk across the seabed to new life, reminiscent of the separation of the waters in Genesis 1 to make dry land. Liberation in order to enable recreation. Liberation in order to enable recreation. So what is God saying to each of us this morning? You might be thinking I'm going to focus on where we stand, where is our land and what is in our hands? And those are all really good questions. But actually, I would just encourage us to spend time with God this week, asking him to show us each afresh that we do, in fact, bring the holiness of God wherever we go, that he has a place for each of us to be and he has given us the gifts we need to act in partnership with him. After all, we're a rescued people through the cross of Christ and we are called to join in with God's rescue of others. But actually, I want to take a step back from that this morning and actually focus on who we are called to be. If we look at that intimate encounter that Moses had with God at the burning bush, we can see it was the start of the transformation of Moses. Moses started to be changed back into the image of the one he worshipped. Moses had a new sense of being and then out of love and obedience he begins to act, repeatedly going to Pharaoh. And we know that later in Exodus, God says to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh experiences the one in whose image Moses was made. Pharaoh experiences God through Moses. That's quite a thought, isn't it? But that is the transformation that God wants to bring to us too, to take us deeper into him, that we might reflect him more to the world. Because the only way we can renew culture and partner with God to transform our cities and communities is to become more like God. The mission of God always centres on his nature, his character, his identity. 
because from God's identity, all of his actions flow. And it's in the activity of God that we are redeemed and transformed, not through our own activity. It's God's doing. It's his action that transforms our being. And then from our being overflows our doing. As we are transformed into God's likeness, our actions then become the vehicles through which people come face to face with God. Paul reminds us, each of us in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. God is love. We need to be transformed more into his likeness by going deeper in his love. I think so often we get caught up in thinking that we have to rescue people, that it's about us. But then all they see is us and not God. Perhaps we're afraid sometimes God won't turn up and so we take things into our own hands. Maybe for some of us, we are fearful of that deeper transformation by God because as he transforms us, will he challenge us to step out in obedience in ways that we're not prepared for? But the truth is, we've not only been rescued by Jesus's death on the cross, we are also liberated by the resurrection power of Jesus. The parting of the Red Sea, which enabled the liberation of the people of Israel, prefigures the tearing of the curtain the moment Jesus died. And Jesus' resurrection, which then made liberation possible for the whole world. We are some of those liberated people in God's kingdom, and we are called to become agents of liberation because we carry the likeness of God. Even though fear is on the rise again at this time, when the rates of coronavirus are going up and restrictions are coming back in, we don't need to be bound by fear. We need to allow God's activity and transformation in us so that we can be who we are, children of God. And this morning I sense that God wants us to rest again in that truth. We are his children and we don't need to go back into the slavery of fear. We have been liberated and are his children made in his image to be transformed by his love. So in a moment, we're going to listen to a song. Please stay seated and perhaps open your hands in a posture to receive from God. God wants to bring his love and transformation this morning by his Holy Spirit. And as we do this, you may feel something such as heat in your hands or a sense of heaviness descending on your body, joy bubbling up into laughter, or perhaps the overwhelming need to weep. God will meet each of us by his spirit in different ways may feel a sense of peace or his love for you in a fresh way. But please know that he will come and fill each one of us, whether or not you sense his presence. God is God 
and we can trust him to come and pour his spirit into our hearts. So let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for the liberation that we have through the blood and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you that you call us to rest in that liberating love and to receive from you. Come, Holy Spirit, come and touch each one of us this morning. Release us from our bondage to fear and pour in your love. Amen.